Hi, I'm Will Schwalbe, and this is But That's Another Story. When I first moved to New York, I found myself living in a one-bedroom at the mouth of the Midtown Tunnel. It was the mid-1980s, and New York City was a different New York. This was Bright Light's big city, not Sex in the City, New York. The economy was booming. Since I couldn't afford the rent, I shared the apartment with one of my dearest friends, Andy. I paid a bit more and had the bedroom. He slept on a futon sofa in the living room. To economize on space, we shared everything. But we had our own clothes and toothbrushes. But we shared everything else. Pastries, television shows, winter coats, shaving cream, and books. Especially books. If a book was going to take up precious space, both of us were going to read it. It was like a 24-7 live-in book club that was slightly out of sync. After many years of sharing, Andy finally decided he was ready for his own pad and I could finally afford the rent by myself. But 30 years later, Andy and I often read the same books. Not the same copies, but the titles. Sharing books is one of the best ways I know to stay as close to your best friends as you were when you were both starting out in a new city and living in your first pad. And recently, I got to talking about moving to New York City with today's guest. My name is Maeve Higgins. I'm an Irish writer and comedian living in Brooklyn, New York. Maeve Higgins has performed all over the world, but she's been trying to get to New York ever since she was a kid. Even as she embraces life here in her forthcoming collection of essays, Maeve in America, her roots in Ireland are never far from her mind. Actually, before we start, I wanted to ask one question. C-O-B-H, pronounced how? Cove. Cove, that's what I thought. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. So Cove is an island off of an island, which is the big island being Ireland. And Cove is in the, it's a little harbour. It's in a harbour, that's why it's, a, it's in a cove. It's got a really uh, deep and tragic history, <laughs> Cove does. It's the last place Titanic stopped. Um, and then sometimes I say like before it, and I don't want to ruin the end of the movie. <laughs> it's like a terrible joke I make. I think it was quite an idyllic childhood, actually, because we lived in the countryside and we had, you know, goats and chickens. And I mean, I say that, but then sometimes I'm like, yeah, but remember that time, like, the goats got eaten by a fox and we saw all their dead bodies? <laughs> I think living in New York and the contrast between life here, like, the news there when I was home was, like, a pipe burst. That was on the national evening news. A water pipe had burst. So sometimes I think when I remember my childhood, I get a bit rosy tinted about it. But then I think, no, it actually was genuinely glowing. Glowing and also a bit crowded. I have seven sisters and one brother. And I um, really loved just hanging out with my sisters. We were, were and still are very, very close. And I think we all have the same kind of sense of humour. And I think when you're born into a big family, I don't know if, if you have many brothers and sisters. Uh, just older brother, younger sister. Oh, OK. So three. That's three. nice. So you know what it's like to be in a little team. <laughs> yes. You know, so imagine like double that and then two more. Wow. <laughs> so you do feel like you're in a gang. All the time. And you were where in the order? I was third. We were like divided into the biggies and smallies. And I was one of the biggies. And I think that, you know, we helped to look after the smallies always. (laughs) (laughs) But when Maeve wasn't playing with and looking after her siblings, there was a good chance she was reading. 
as a child, I remember Roald Dahl absolutely being obsessed with Roald Dahl to the, you know, the point of like staying up late and like sneaking a light into my room and just, you know, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe his writing. I think he helped me through some childhood moments by by magic where when you feel powerless or you feel like things are bad that you can escape like I think Matilda did that the fantastic Mr Fox did that um even James and the Giant Peach all actually like a lot of his books were a sort of you know victimized people like using magic to escape <laughs> and that was when I was very young like the only bright spark I showed as a child was that I could read a lot and very young so then I moved on to like C.S. Lewis when I was about seven and I really loved all of those books and then when I was nine my family actually moved to Zimbabwe for a few years and I remember we took a whole like the Louisa May Alcock collection with us so I read those obsessively again and again as like an 11 you know 10 11 year old those were like my best friends (laughs) and those are the kind of ones that I remember making an impact on me definitely those are the books that I read repeatedly and living abroad for the first time sparked a lifelong interest in travel for Maeve I think living somewhere else as a child I think it's really valuable experience for the child especially coming from where we did which was small islands I think going to see where other people live and the ways other people live and the fact that people are all different colours and religions and it's very lucky you're very lucky if you get to do that and I think it did long term impact me in that I always am interested in where did you come from and why did you leave and what's your story and so why did you come to the United States so I came to New York I think because I always had a romantic idea of being a writer in New York City I do think it was that simple I think Nora Ephron has a lot to answer for <laughs> and um, AJ Liebling and there's such a rich history here like of course so that's why I came here pretty baldly for better opportunities too I think I had been living in, in Ireland and working in Dublin for 11 years and I had a TV show there and I had done a radio series there and you know was doing tours stand-up tours so it was a combination of all those things and also just luck I had this year-long visa so I decided I'll just come to New York I emailed a guy I knew here who's sort of friends with and I said you know do you have a spare room he was like weird my roommate just left you can come and live here and it was like a room in Brooklyn where I've stayed I haven't stayed in in that room because that was a really strange place to live. (laughs) There was a child upstairs and her name was Maeve too. And that was really unsettling (laughs) because I'd hear her mother just being like, Maeve, stop that. I'd be like, what? I'm just trying to write. As she navigated her new city, Maeve thought of herself as an immigrant. But it quickly became apparent that she was the only one who thought of herself that way. It's funny because there's so much talk of immigrants these days and I kind of, I even got a baseball cap that says like, I am an immigrant (laughs) because it's, it's so funny to me when I talk to born Americans when they're like, oh no, you're not an immigrant. You don't have to call yourself that because it's become this sort of slur and for good reason, right? Because of the language around immigrants has really gotten so dark and so associated with 
you know, crime and all of these things that aren't even true. But there's been a very successful campaign, I think, in the past two years to make it that way. So now I'm kind of saying, look, I am an immigrant, but I'm, you know, just because I'm white and I'm European and because it was easy for me to, to move here, I try not to forget that if it had been me, you know, 150 years ago, I think my experience would have been quite different. Probably not as bad, though. Say now, if I was a Syrian child, I wouldn't even be allowed in. Like, Syrians are currently banned. And so I think part of me wants to always make the argument, listen, this could have been me, 150, but a lot of people don't even have that opportunity now, you know. And soon, Maeve found that she couldn't stop thinking about immigration. When I first moved to New York, one of the big things I noticed was I had gotten in and lots of other people hadn't, I guess. I got really interested in that because I was like, wow, like I'm welcomed here and I have this visa. I can come and go freely. And these people have been living here since they were kids and they're more American than me, certainly. But I have all of these advantages over them. So it was just this curiosity that like wouldn't like let me go about other people from other places and I think living in New York does that to you too right you're just on a subway and there's just all of these faces and languages and colors and you're just like what you know who are you and where did you come from and I think as somebody who is a storyteller too then there's just going to be a better story from somebody who's upped and left everything than from somebody who's you know who hasn't. When we come back from the break, Maeve finds a way to explore those stories and then finds a book that makes her think differently about how her own fits in. Maeve Higgins had arrived in New York to find herself obsessed with stories about immigration and how so many differed from her own. And soon, she figured out a way to follow her curiosity. I've been asked to do so many podcasts, I think, just because I'm a comedian. Comedy podcasts are huge. It's a booming industry. And I never wanted to do one before. But then I thought, wait, like if I could just do kind of a comedy podcast about immigration, that way it could be a platform for other people's stories, too. And I could also hear a lot of the drumbeat that's gotten so loud now, which was anti-immigration in this country. And it was kind of blowing my mind that like, just just the way undocumented people were treated didn't seem to be the the biggest story. And there was just such a gap in knowledge of like what it was like to be an immigrant here. And figuring out a way to make humor and immigration coexist in the podcast, also called Mave in America, was not as difficult as it might seem. I think humor and immigration actually are not far apart. Like, I remember talking to my sister's friend, and he's Syrian. He was saying that, like, he was chatting to a girl and... I guess chatting her up, right? And so he was asking her about her tattoos and she said, oh, where's your accent from? And he was like, oh, here we go. Because I think if, you, if you're if you like a young person and you're Syrian and you're just trying to have a regular conversation, but then you say like, I'm Syrian, there's going to be this reaction. There's going to be an either kind of a scared or maybe a sad or a pitiful or there's going to be some reaction it's never just going to be like oh cool I'm from Florida (laughs) the woman immediately started weeping she started showing him YouTube videos of atrocities in Syria now this man has been through a lot right he 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 knows what's happening like he didn't need to see them and he didn't need to comfort like a white lady about what was happening in Syria he literally just wanted to get her number (laughs) 
when you talk to immigrants, there's tons of stories like that where it's just like the funny things happen in life no matter what's happening in your life. And I just thought it would be cool to, to share that. And I think humour is very humanising too. I think it's really hard to sort of negate somebody as a person if you've like shared a laugh with them. After Maeve in America finished its run, Maeve still couldn't shake her interest in immigration. Though she usually favored nonfiction books, she came across Exit West, a new novel by Mohsin Hamid. The book follows a young couple who are able to escape the civil war going on in their city through a series of magic doors, portals that open up and allow them to flee. And though she had already immersed herself in the topic, the novel offered a new perspective for Maeve. What got to me about the book was this new way of imagining what migration could look like. Because I always get stuck in my head when people are like, well, what are you going to do? There has to be borders. There has to be fences. And I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) But this book, I think because it's fiction, it just like let me have a new way to think about migration. You know, something that I hadn't fully appreciated and still I'm just understanding now is like (laughs) that it's not you know people don't leave because they always want to like one of the characters in the book I feel like he probably would have stayed like he was pretty happy there but he had to leave but then the other you know his girlfriend in the book she like did great it was really good for her that she got an opportunity to to leave and you can see her kind of growing and getting stronger even through all of this tumult that's happening in her life. So I think something that I learned from from reading that book was that like, you know, it's not always a story of victims like leaving and being that we need to be kind to them and that it's like a moral responsibility. You know, often they're heroes, actually, of their own stories. And it would be our privilege and our, you know, to our great advantage to welcome them in. It's not like, oh, we're so good to do this. It's like, you would be so lucky to get this person (laughs) to be a part of your community, even for a few years. I think another thing is just that I was like, oh, yeah, like not everybody wants to leave. Like there's this feeling, especially I think in America, where it's like everybody wants to get here. Everybody wants to be here. But often it's like, no, I think they'd be pretty happy at home. It's just that they they kind of have to come. So that's something that I have to relearn all the time. Because I think, you know, I grew up, you know, being so exposed to American culture and like America is the best place in the world. And I still think that like I moved here myself. <laughs> so I think it's important for me to be like, oh, yeah, like the West isn't the best. Like it's just one other place. Reading the novel also made Maeve consider the merits of fiction versus nonfiction, and sparked a comparison to one of the most beloved pieces of American fiction, Harper Lee's classic, To Kill a Mockingbird. Something that I find really hard to do is to try and like make people care about something I think they should care about. (laughs) And it doesn't work if you just yell at them. Like it doesn't work if you're like, can't you see how important this is? People will be like, sure, <laughs> sure, I promise I'll read that, you know, 6,000 word piece you just sent me, Maeve, like I look forward to it. People just have so much going on and like if it doesn't affect them directly, they're not inclined to to feel it, you know. And I think with To Kill a Mockingbird, I think that opened a lot of people's eyes because it was 
I don't know why actually. I don't know why it had such a why people could feel it, you know, when it wasn't about them. But I think it helped them to understand what it was like for others. Um, and I, I think I'm thinking more and more because I'm always come from a place of nonfiction. Like my comedy is about me and my life, and then the podcast was interviewing real people about their stories, and everything was fact checked, and we included like the history of the countries they came from, and it was all so. I, I just was like, when you hear the truth, you're going to like think differently. But now I'm more like, hmm, that I don't know that that works, actually. It kind of gets at people sideways, like it kind of wriggles into their heart in a way that they weren't expecting. And maybe that can help empathy and help to change their attitudes a bit more. And that's something Maeve will take with her as she continues with new projects focused on immigration. It's vital to believe that, like, everything can be turned around, you know. I think it's really lazy to think that, like, things have to stay the way they are. And so I love when writing does that. Like, I love when writing suddenly twists and, like, illuminates this whole other set of possibilities that you hadn't thought of. This book is definitely a good tool in imagining a better and a more humane sort of response to immigration. If you just see on the news, like, oh... 18 people were killed in a, you know, car bomb in, in Pakistan or whatever. It's it's hard for us because we're just t- humans with like tiny brains to, to think like, oh, that was like a girl who had like a really funny laugh. And like when she laughed, or make her friends laugh because she had a funny laugh. You know, just small human details that just get lost. I think it's really hard to write somebody off if you know these small things about them. Like if you know that like they give the end of their yogurt carton to their dog or whatever it is like it's just really hard then to be like oh that's just like a person in a life in a life jacket on a dinghy that would never be me because it's you're like oh that that could be me (laughs) you know but that's another story is produced by katie ferguson with editing help from Alyssa martino Alex Abnos, and Becky Celestina. Thanks to Maeve Higgins and Rebecca Marsh. If you'd like to learn more about the books we mentioned in this week's episode, you can find out more in our show notes. You can also find a transcript of this episode and past ones on LitHub. If you've been enjoying the show, please be sure to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps others discover the program. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If there's a book that changed your life, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at anotherstory@macmillan.com. We'll be back with our next episode in two weeks. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.